Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human and cetacean listeners. The Hunting and Hadjassad Podcast is well known because we're both automotive journalists and we have a lot of interesting things to talk to you about. Oddly enough, very similar things to talk to you about today. So Ben, why don't we start off with the brand new 2019 Ram 1500, which we both had the chance to drive this week. And we drove it one week apart, too, didn't we? Like, we were in the same place, but at different times, which is kind of weird in this business. Yeah, that is. Usually a, a launch event takes place at at its longest, like a week. But this was uh, two weeks long. Two it's weeks, pretty... plus like a month earlier, they had another week long event. So they there was a lot of excitement to be built up around the Ram. Yeah, and uh, and for good reason. This is a completely new um, generation of the of the truck, and it's got a lot of really important new characteristics that I think are is going to make it stand out. And we all know that trucks are just they're just they're money makers, man. And um, you gotta you gotta have something special in order for people to want to pick them up um, in large quantities. What do you think? Well. You know, trucks are money makers, and I've always been of the opinion, well, not always, in the last five years, I feel like Ram has really led the pack. It's not necessarily the highest selling truck out there, Ford's still claiming that crown, but in terms of interior space and fit and finish and luxury, the Ram is really, really head and shoulders above anything else from Detroit. Where Ram has kind of fallen a bit behind has been in the drivetrain department. So we had eco-diesel Rams, right, Sammy, mm-hmm. where we had yep. the, the, the Ram was the first to go to market with a light-duty diesel engine. That was kind of a, that was a killer app for them. Uh, they were, yep. they couldn't build enough of those motors. Those motors were being built at, was it VM Motori, the plant in Italy, it was building all the engines for that and the Grand Cherokee, which was also available with the diesel. And I think they had an allocation of something like 50000 a year. And that was mm-hmm. it. And they were rammed with just how many of those... Uh. Sorry, that that was unintentional. Uh, <laughs> I see the, what you did there. But um, flash forward to 2019, and no eco diesels on the horizon. That Ram is not willing to talk about whether that's coming back. So the uh, in the absence of eco diesel, and there's no turbocharged engines like you get from Ford, and there's no big block engines or not not big block but large displacement V8s like you get with Chevrolet and GMC with the 6.2. We'll talk uh, about that in a second. Because, okay. I mean, Ram has a 6.4, <laughs> yeah. but they're not putting it in the light-duty truck. You get that no. in the 2500. So what's going on with Ram, Sammy? Like, in the drivetrain department, it's 2019. It's a new truck. Do we have something exciting to talk about? We do and we don't. Um, there's something really interesting. They're going to make a mild hybrid version of the truck. Wait, what? Uh, a hybrid pickup truck? Yeah, a mild hybrid. So from what I understand, you know, you've got your uh, full series hybrids, which can run 100% on electric motors for quite a while. And then you've got a mild hybrid uh, system, which is meant to provide some extra boost and support um, for the truck when needed. And that's what this Ram is going to feature. They're called E-Torque, and they're going to fit in both the V6 and the V8 models. And they're pretty much made possible because of a new electronic architecture that's enabled via a 48-volt battery pack, which I think is pretty interesting for a truck. It's definitely um, it's definitely interesting. I mean, this is, new gen- this is like new generation technology. It's really cool. And 48-volt is something that you're going to see across the entire industry. Mercedes mm-hmm. has really been pushing this hard across their lineup, but they're not the only ones. It's, you know, it's the fact that it's showing up in a pickup truck indicates just how much excitement 48-volt has generated for uh, engineers in the, in the automotive world. The reasoning behind that is because 12 volt is what all cars run on now, their electrical systems. But when you start looking at efficiency, it, it's really not great. 48 volt allows for much more efficient management of energy. And that's important if you want to start doing things like having very aggressive start-stop systems and having things like e-torque. Mm-hmm. And so the e-torque in the V6 model will provide uh, 90 more pound-feet of launch torque. Um, and in the V8 model, that's a 5.7 liter Hemi V8, which I still think is pretty high displacement, despite what you think it is. Well, I mean, <laughs> is every... 100, is 130 more pound feet of launch torque, which is pretty impressive. Well, what I'm saying for, for high displacement is every truck company has a 5 liter V8 of some description. Ford has a 5 liter, GM has a 5.3, and Ram has a 5.7. But um, Ford has developed a 6.2 in the past and used that. 
and Chevrolet has a 6.2 as well. And Ram has a 6.4. They just won't put it in the light duty. But I want to go back to what you said about launch torque because there's something that's really important to understand about the e-torque system. It doesn't actually give you extra torque. Uh, mm -hmm. It's an electric motor that sits on top of where the alternator would normally be. It, it, the V6 and the V8 have slightly different implementations of e-torque, but in general, that's where you'll find it in the vehicle. So it's the front of the motor, and what it does is it provides the torque that Sammy mentioned not in addition to what the engine's producing, but in concert with. So you'll never, you can't just add... Uh, 130 pound feet to the 410 yeah. pound feet of the V8, and you're at 540. That's not how it works. No. So it it, prov it provides the torque in balance with. You'll never go above 410, but you'll get yeah. that instant torque from the e-torque system uh, when you're leaving leaving a stop. They also described um, some other interesting elements for the for the trucks, but particularly the way that the e-torque system can fill in the gaps left while changing gears, for example. And I think that's really that's really cool. And in fact, one of the most important parts about this new truck and, and going beyond the powertrain is just how refined and smooth I found it to drive. It never felt I mean, trucks are pretty big and they can be very comfortable and confident feeling. But at the same time, they can also drive big and that can leave you with a sense of um, of uneasiness, I think, when you're in a tight spot or when you just realize how big a vehicle you're, you're, you're in control of. And this Ram has really stepped up its game in, the term that in, in, the, in terms of how relaxed and smooth and comfortable it is to, to handle. I never uh, felt like I was in control of a giant boat or anything like that. It was just super smooth. I, I want to back up a bit, Sammy. I, I, I agree with you about the smoothness, and I have some things I want to say about that. But I, I want to make it clear to the people who are listening, we didn't actually drive any e-torque trucks. Yes, this is really important to bring up. Um, while the V6 e-torque model will be the base model, um, we have, and then a V8 e-torque model will be the high-end model, there's something in the middle, just a regular 5.7-liter Hemi V8 model, which... I think it's carrying over the same output as the last year's model. Yeah, it's exactly means... the same. I mean, the, even with the e-torque, it's exactly the same. But, but they're not going to be in production for quite a while. It, Ram is pushing out Hemi V8s right now with quad cabs and crew cabs. You can't even get a single cab. So mm -hmm. the e-torque is not ready for prime time. I mean, the, the concept is built and it, it's ready to be produced. But in terms of actual sales, it's not going to happen. We haven't driven it. We don't know how much of a difference it makes. We don't know it, the, the, the start-stop system how that's going to affect drivability. It, and fuel it was, economy. Uh, yeah, it, Ram's promising a fuel economy improvement, but we don't even have a rating for the regular motor yet. Mm -hmm. I was disappointed that we didn't get to drive eTorque because eTorque is the story with this with the, with Ram. It's their version of EcoBoost in terms of trying to give you power and efficiency at the same time. Um, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's not the story. It's not the only story to talk about with the Ram. It's about half of it. And a lot, it's what most people are probably the, the most excited about, um, when it comes to this truck, they want to find out what this new power, I mean, powertrains are always the most interest, some of the most interesting parts of a, of a, of a truck. And, um, yeah, to not have more details about it and not to know what it feels like on the road, it's a bit of a miss, but and, I'm and to have a carryover engine, you know, like yeah. to, to, you have an all new truck that's debuting with a carryover engine, that's a bit of a disappointment for Ram fans, I think. That's an interesting point. I'm, I agree that it's a carryover engine, but they've made some really interesting changes to the rest of the car and how the engine works with it. So here's something that I thought was really interesting. Just bear with me for a second. But the that carryover engine can now operate in that cylinder deactivation mode, that four-cylinder mode, for a wider range of uh, engine loads. That, how can that be done with a carryover engine? It's because of some of the interesting frame and, um, and cabin technologies. Basically, they've smoothed out some of the noise and vibrations that occur when you switch to four-cylinder uh, operation. And now the, the truck can be more efficient um, as a result, which is pre pretty cool for a carry just a carryover engine. I like how you're you're picking up on my carryover words and turning them around and spitting them back in my face like some kind of venomous lizard. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I I agree with you. I love seeing you know they've taken a look at the the heart the beating heart of the engine of the car, which is the engine, and said we don't need to make any changes here. And I honestly, honestly, Ben, four almost four hundred horsepower and four hundred and ten. Oh no, it's torque. a good motor. I'm not. I'm not. 
knocking Ram for doing it, but the optics are not great. That's all I'm saying. Like I'm putting myself in the position of a buyer, not as someone mm-hmm. who's a fan of the truck already. This is my favorite pickup truck. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. I mean, this is a truck that got rid of leaf springs a generation ago and put coils mm-hmm. in the back, and you had the option of an air suspension. So it is so comfortable. That four-corner air suspension is still, uh, I think, an exclusive for the Ram in this in this market. Am I wrong? I think you're. I think you're right. I think it is exclusive, and you can even get it with the off-road package. You have the choice <clears> when you buy the off-road package, which ha- comes with a, a locking differential in the back. And um, uh, there, there's a, a Bilstein shock that's available, but I believe the the Rebel comes with the Bilsteins, and other trucks come with the um, the pulse frequency shocks. Sammy, if that's right. Um, they're called frequency response frequency uh, response shocks. Yeah. But in in any case, you can choose to have steel springs or the the uh, the air springs, which is yeah. really cool. I mean. The Ram is a very comfortable truck to drive, as Sammy mentioned earlier. It's it's a very smooth truck, and now that that they've uh, come out with a new generation, it's an even more comfortable truck in the backseat because the cab is like four inches longer than it was before. They've redone all of the storage inside, so you have under the seats in the back. If you flip up the benches, there's 40 liters, which is about one and a half cubic feet of of storage space. That doesn't sound like a lot, one and a half cubic feet, whatever, until you think about the fact that a, an average car has a 10 cubic foot truck. Yeah. So, Or a Miata has something like a four cubic foot <laughs> truck. So that's a quarter of a Miata's trunk under the back seat. But it gets even crazier. The center console has the same amount of room. So you have a yep. quarter of a Miata's trunk in the center console or enough space <laughs> love, to put – I love this quarter of a Miata's trunk is our, 40... is our standard measurement. <laughs> It's it's a quarter of a Miata's trunk or 40 quarts of milk you could dump in there. <laughs> That's how much room. If you wanted to just – or motor oil, whatever you feel comfortable putting in there. That's a ton of space. It's ridiculous. Like uh, on the event when I was driving the truck with my friend Bradley Iger, who's been, been a guest of the show in the past, we had a whole bunch of cameras in there just stacked up on each other. You can't do that in other trucks. Like it's a no. lot harder. I mean, I think that's so funny. I mean, when I was driving the truck, I was like making the comment, this is a very practical vehicle, but of course it is. It's a truck. But then <laughs> inside the vehicle and all of the other ways that it's practical just blew my mind. You're right. Those those underseat storage bins are wicked. But even when you don't use them, there's a flat load floor in the back. Yeah. Even, even for the passengers, there's a ton of practical elements like, um, you know, the, the cup holders in the back. They have like a, a slot for your iPad to go in and like you could prop it up and entertain people in the back like a, a rear seat entertainment unit. Um, there's those wicked RAM boxes, for example, which um, are, are another really important storage function of the of the vehicle. And um, you can use it for I mean, I think some people even just store ice and beers in there for when they go camping or something. Well, I mean, RAM box is cool, but there's a trade off with RAM box. You lose interior bed space. Uh, so that's something you really have to think about what you're going to be hauling with your pickup and whether you need that extra width. Um, but you know, you mentioned that thing with the iPad in the back, being able to sit it up. Mm -hmm. So at the front of the truck, Ram has done two other interesting things for, uh, mobile devices. First of all, there's us native USB C connectors. Yeah. In addition to regular USB, uh, at the front in the console. That's amazing. Very, very few automakers are doing that. But the other thing is they have a shelf that allows you to put your phone so it's facing straight up and facing you. There's a cutout for your your cable. So I'm so used to putting my phone upside down in whatever car I'm in because you can't, you know, the cable's always in the way. Mm -hmm. I was doing it in the Ram even though I didn't have to. I kept having to tell myself, no, you can flip it. This is fine. And uh, it works really, really well. It wedges your phone in. So if you're using something like Waze to navigate and you don't want to have a suction cup and have cables everywhere, this keeps all your cables inside the console. This is actually really helpful. I did a video on the on the Ram 1500 and I used that as a teleprompter. Um, it was super helpful. Um, but of course, the Ram has more than just a couple of uh, interesting slots for your phone. Um, what about that ginormous 12-inch uh, touchscreen that now dominates the center console. That's so pretty that, impressive. It is impressive. It's something you can get on the top tier limited. You can get it on the Longhorn, and I think it's optional on the Laramie as well because I drove a Laramie that had it. Uh, it it's in addition. So the 8.4 version, the 8.4 inch version of UConnect is still mm-hmm. available. I love it. One of it's my good. favorite yeah, infotainment systems. When it works, uh, I've had some issues in the past where UConnect just dies out. 
um, in various SEA vehicles. In fact, one that I just returned last week, a, a Jeep Compass, which just, I don't know what happened, but for half my test, I had a black screen until somebody called me. Suddenly the screen started working again. So, well, I don't, I can't, <laughs> I can't speak to your black screen days, but um, this 12 inch, I like parts of it. I don't like other parts of it. Uh, there's some cool stuff, like uh, then obviously the map's super big. It's arranged like a tablet, so it stands straight up. So if you want to see yourself on the map while you're using navigation, very easy. It also has this kind of cool thing where there's a bottom row. You know how you normally have favorites on an yeah. infotainment system? So this has favorites, but it has something else as well where you can drag the icons that you use the most to the bottom row and access various vehicle systems. So if you're always accessing the heated seats, bam, it's right there. You don't have to go into the infotainment system to find it. Or if you're always accessing some satellite radio, it's there too. Um, other than that, though, I mean, I found it a little bit clunky. We had some issues where we were plugging multiple phones in uh, on Bluetooth and on USB, and there's a whole bunch of stuff you have to do to manage that to make sure you don't have phones taking over other phones. It's also the menus. The menus are we, – the we had the interior designer of the RAM with us in the vehicle the whole day. So he was able to show us how to set up profiles. Each device can have its own profile, which is really interesting. So let's say you like to access your phone via USB and get music off of it every time you plug it in, but your partner doesn't. You can set it up so that when he or she plugs in their phone, nothing happens. Whereas when you plug in your phone, you get what you want, which is very useful. Interesting. Yeah. yeah it's, that it's sounds a nice... like something that would probably require some extra configuration um beyond just plugging in your phone and, and, and selecting one check checkbox. It is. It's it's something you go into the menu system and do, and he showed us how to do it. But what I liked about the 12-inch screen is Volvo has a very similar large screen, but Volvo uses small fonts and menus that come out of both sides and the top that you can drag down, and it's confusing. RAM did not do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, clever. I agree with you. Um, I think that's some clever. They, I mean, they've shown that they know how to make good user interfaces with Uconnect, and they're showcasing that it's not a one-off. Um, like a mistake that they they've made in the a happy mistake that they made in the past. They're showing that they can do it, uh, no matter the screen size. I think that's pretty cool. It's it's definitely cool. All in all, I mean, this is still my favorite truck. If, if There's I was so to, much more to talk about though here. Let's, if let's... I was to if I was to buy a truck, it would be this one. If I was to buy you a truck, Sammy, it would also be this one. Oh, that's very kind of you. I think I would buy you this truck as well. Um, although a Baja, a Subaru Baja, would be pretty cool too. Does that count as a truck? Uh, uh, no. Well, I don't know. Pass. <laughs> Pass on answering that question. Um, so we talked a lot about that. How about this for for um, some weird, just weird trivia? From what I understand, this is the only truck that has a notification that tells you that the, the tailgate is down. I, I had no idea. I'll How weird is that? Um, and that's just that's enabled through the the gauge cluster in front of the driver. So another you know another high tech feature being used for more practical elements. There's also a lot to talk about with the frame. I mean, some people don't want to talk a lot about frame, so I'll, I'll keep it quiet. But this thing has um, a lighter and longer and stiffer frame than before. They've cut about 200, uh, sorry, 120 pounds from the vehicle um, over the last last model, and the design of the frame. It's kind of it, they call it a splayed frame, which means that it, it kind of like extends outwards like a Y um, at the front end. And that, believe it or not, that's for safety. Now, I always thought that trucks were some of the safest things on the road because, you know, they're giants, right? They're huge. And do do truck owners really care about their own safety in their in these things? They probably feel Wait, like what are you saying? Like truck owners are like nihilistic. They probably truck. think that they're the <laughs> safest thing on the road. Well, I, I guess maybe, except you have to also consider that all that mass, if you roll it over, that can that can be negative. <laughs> well, that uh, that splayed frame is actually designed to improve the the truck's um, front collision and front overlap style, um, or help it in those kinds of accidents. Again, also, something that I didn't expect um, a new truck to really address, but they definitely did. I, I'd also like to point out that. While the new Ram is very safe, uh, Chrysler has the reputation for building the least safe pickup truck of all time, which was the convertible version of the Dodge Dakota <laughs> in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, which was modified by ASC McLaren, I believe. So it was a way for you to stack your cargo in the bed, put the top down, and then have your cargo slam into the back of your head at a stop <laughs> if you ever had to brake really suddenly. It was, it was essentially a suicide machine. Um, I think it came with a roll bar. I don't know why. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that's just that's another aside, I think. And I also, I actually like uh, me and you were talking about this uh, while we were while we were on the event um, at different times. But there's a lot of little 
funny uh, Easter eggs. So I think you pointed out that there's a bunch of calculations and trigonometry, um, like ch cheat sheets um, on the center armrest. Under the center console, yeah. Oh, sorry, under the armrest for that console. You lift it up and it's there. I don't know why it's there, but it's there, which is kind of fun. And then when you look at the at um, inside there, you also see like a, a a lineage, a family tree of all of the RAM pickups before before this one, carved um, into the bottom of the console, right? Which I think is really neat too. But there's also I think the ch the charge ports um, or the wireless charging has this name called the RAM charger, and that's uh, a previous Dodge. Uh, vehicle it was like their their competitor to the uh, what's it called the bronco the bronco yes it's a two-door full-size suv i kind of wish there was like a, a <laughs> warlock one too so i could charge my magic wand yeah. that would be awesome <laughs> or like a trail duster one so i could charge my broom so but uh what what criticisms do you have of this of this truck anything that really didn't um didn't well, my, criti my criticisms would be the carryover engines. As much as I like them, okay. I really want to see that 6.4 available for the uh, for the light-duty truck. I think we might get it. I think there might be a special version of the truck coming that will offer that. But it's a good motor. And I, mm -hmm. I think it might be a fuel economy thing because I'm not certain as to whether they have cylinder deactivation on that engine. Mm -hmm. But that that would be my, my, my primary criticism. Oh, one more thing I wanted to mention, Sammy. Sure. The Laramie Longhorn, or the Longhorn, sorry, has a wood interior with outstanding leather, as usual. Uh, yeah. Ridiculous Texas-style leather with the, sat the, the saddlebag stuff on the back seats. But on the dashboard, the, the wood trim that goes across has a hand-branded Longhorn. They, they Isn't actually that heat, wild? Isn't they that heat up a piece of metal. Yeah, and, and then they brand it into the dash. They burn it into the dash. So... Yeah, that's that's some. I that's want to know if it was random or if it's in the same place every single time. I asked, and they have a template. Oh, so but um, it is done by hand. It's not a robot. So I know everyone <laughs> out there listening hates robot branded stuff. This yeah. is hand branded. Um, the interior is gorgeous. I can't get it over, especially in that in that fully loaded limited trim model. It is insane how nice it's this so interior is. So much nicer than anything <laughs> else. Like I don't get why the engine like. The Ford stuff and the GM stuff, it's okay, but how do they feel when they get into the Ram and it's just like a step above for no reason at all? Like it's just they're competing in the same space. But I mean, we were inside the new Chevrolet at, in Detroit at the launch. Oh yeah, and it's and they okay. Said, they said they made huge improvements, and we were both like, "Yeah, it's no Ram though." No, like, there's still just... a lot of plastic, and it's it's the the materials are fine, but they're not the same level as the Limited or the Longhorn, and it's been like that for at least five years. I mean, the yeah, previous for at least generation, one generation was yeah, yeah, I and mean, you get into a new. I haven't been in the 2018 Ford. I haven't spent a lot of time in it, but the 2017, the previous generation, again, it's fine, but it doesn't really blow you away like the Ram does. Um. I'm uh, we you know we haven't discussed some of the driver assistance aids in this in this thing. I usually am not um, I'm not aware of there being so many driver assistance features in pickup trucks. That's something that I think is kind of new. I think it started late in the last generation of trucks, and now it's it's warming up. So you can get this truck with adaptive cruise control, lane keeping assist, blind spot monitoring, forward collision warning, all that uh, all that fancy stuff. Um, and some of that and most of that stuff actually takes into consideration. Um, truck duties. So like what it would be like to have um, a trailer, the blind spot monitoring system can can actually accommodate your ta your trailer and tell you when your blind spots um, and your lane change is free. Um, that's pretty cool. But I think it I think it actually learns your trailer too, right? Like yeah. you, you, you do a turn to the left and a turn to the right and, and it gets the full length of the trailer and figures out how much space you need in the lane beside you. And um, and the air suspension can actually be used to help you um, hook up a trailer, so you don't need uh, with with thanks to the um, like really high definition cameras, you can line up your trailer without needing somebody a spotter um, as well, and then you can just lift the truck and the hitch into the trailer's um, uh, hitch, and then hook it up yourself in a second. I mean that's that's cool and everything. I think that's more of a beginner's. Tra tra a beginner trailer kind of deal because my dad hooks his trailer up all the time by himself it's not an issue um i've never actually helped him and he's never asked me <laughs> and we, we we tow together all the time uh to the racetrack so i think that i i think once you learn how to do it you can you can do it but i it's cool for people who don't tow all the time let's say you do occasionally you get a trailer from u-haul or something it's definitely helpful i mean it's not like it's a bad thing 
I also think that this has um, parking um, parking assistance features that um, are pretty impressive. I'm not sure if it can park itself, but it can also really help you with a parallel parking or perpendicular parking situation. Um, and I bring all of this up because a lot of people who own trucks and have lived with trucks take a lot of pride in their ability to pilot their trucks um, as like as it's as it's a skill. Um, and I think that the RAM takes away some of that boast factor or that um, that factor that goes into owning a vehicle like that, a big, a big truck. Um, and it makes it makes the truck so much more accessible, which is a good thing. Um, and I think that's really cool. I think that's really important for for a new truck. Well, it's still going to be a bit of a bear to drive in a city. Uh, I remember when I first moved to Montreal and how I was driving pickups. I had four or five F-150s in a row and parking. You know, like I had grown up in a small town and out in the country and I'd never had to parallel park with any kind of regularity. It just mm -hmm. wasn't needed. And then I moved to Montreal, which is a city of four million people. And all of a sudden I have to parallel park this full size pickup all the time. And <laughs> As a result of that, I can now park anything anywhere without any issues. But for a while, it, it was a real problem. <laughs> and it was a skill that I had to learn. So, I mean, trucks today are even bigger than the truck I had. I was driving a lot of mid-80s, early to mid-90s trucks in that era. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's good that these aids are out there, but it's still not an easy... Nothing that size is going to be easy in traffic. So, when we're out in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is where Sammy and I were driving... It, there's wide open spaces. It's It feels good to have a large vehicle like that. In an urban situation, that's when you start to notice the, the four-door long wheelbase pickups. Because you can get a long wheelbase model. The, the ones with the six-foot, four-inch bed mm -hmm. are actually labeled long wheelbase by RAM. Now, I I kind of agree with you, but I think this is going to be an easier ada uh, adoption period, like adaptive. You're going you're gonna to adapt to this vehicle easier than other ones it just gives you a really good sense of confidence on the road and actually this does have uh parallel and per perpendicular park assistance features that will control the steering for you sorry i just looked it up um it costs around uh thirty three thousand dollars us i think with uh when you're considering destination delivery for that two wheel uh, four by two v6 model with uh, a quad cab um and i think that's a lot of money it Especially is a lot of money. You trucks are the, you don't get that regular box, right? The or the short box. No, it's it's trucks are super expensive. I mean, I, I mean think cab. Sorry. I totally forgot. I was not paying attention to the number you just said. Did, were you talking about the limited four by two? Uh, no, the tradesman. Okay, so the tradesman Trades is like you said. You said forty three, right? It's right yeah, around there. Thirty. Thirty four. Thirty four. Yeah. Let me check. Let oh, me double check my numbers. I thought it was started at forty three. I I could be wrong though. The tradesman. Um, the tradesman is the most affordable model. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's 34? Yeah, 30, 33, sorry. Just under okay. 34 for a 4x2 so quad cab tradesman. In the, I believe yeah. if you double that, you get to the limited 4x2. I think it's 70. Okay. Holy cow. Is it? Is it? Am I right? I don't know. I don't have the pricing in front it's of me. It's definitely expensive. That's uh, a lot of money. Yeah, and that, and you can still add more because if you want four-wheel drive, you have to add a little bit more, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Let, let me check. I have the numbers here. But we're in a world where a $70,000 truck doesn't even really make you bat your eye anymore. People just expect it. Um, that's that's kind of crazy to me, the, the fact that um, – yeah. I Actually, where are you seeing the 30 – because I have the trucks starting – at a $53,890. I was talking what? about the limited. That's a lot of money. I was talking just the tradesman, the most the most affordable model you can get. Okay. I. You know what? I'm confused. I'm thinking about the Canadian pricing. Oh, okay. So <laughs> okay. For, the so Canadian the, pricing, I understand, for the tradesman is even is, is 42000 So, yeah, that's yeah. your 40. Yeah. And, and that's where I was – that's where I was getting seventy thousand as well. So for okay. our American listeners, it's fifty three thousand eight hundred ninety for a two wheel drive limited. So that's the top tier truck. Yeah, so in the, in Canada, you're looking at seventy thousand. It is expensive. Wow. Um, and and that's, saying, that's with no options too. There's yeah. no options out of there. And I was saying one of the tough thing. I mean, if Ram, it's it truck buyers are hard. I think they're hard not to crack. Most people get um, what they're used to, and they've like F 150s have been along for, around for a long time. Silverado have been around for a long time, and those two guys really dominate this. Uh, and I mean, both the GM trucks, the Silverado and the and the Sierra. Um, in the, in the United States, yes. In the United States, in Canada, Ram is the second best selling truck, and it's very close to F 150. And I always wonder if they if they lowered the price tag of this truck, um, if they could 
really creep up on those other guys in terms of sales numbers. One hundred percent. Maybe that's not what they want to do here. They're showing that they can they can they can top their competitors in terms of quality, uh, in terms of features, and um, it's definitely worth the price. Well, the, you know, we're starting to get into a murky area because if you if you look closely at, at RAM transaction prices, you will see a lot of cash on the hood. Oh, okay. And that is an FCA thing that's been going on for quite a while. I mean, we had the crazy lease deal in Canada just two years yeah. ago where you could get starting at $160, $169 Canadian, which is about 130 US, you could get a four-door RAM pickup with a V8 engine. And that was a lease deal for two or three years. And that's really crazy. That is almost no money for a vehicle of this size. So when you add that and you add, I've seen incentives close to $10,000 on full-size RAM pickups. There's there's a lot of the price that's being advertised is not necessarily the price you're going to pay, and I'm not saying that GM and Ford don't do that as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that's endemic to the pickup truck industry, but it's it's kind of hard to figure out how much truck you'll get for your money until you actually go to a dealership. Um, all right, let's tra- let's change gears and talk about another interesting car that we've um, we've driven. I drove a different version than you, but this is the Jaguar XF. Um, you drove a very special version of the Jaguar XF. A very, very special, very special. The XF Sport Brake. And for those of you who don't know what Sport Brake means, and there's probably a bunch, and I'm not going to fault you for it. It's not a word we really use in North America. Sport Brake is the British word for a two-door wagon, typically, but sometimes a four-door wagon. In any case, um, it, it was, I believe, this is just me going off memory here, but it was a hunting term that was used for wagons that were brought out to, you know, you have your guns and your dogs, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. uh, Jaguar has made a sport brake wagon version of the XF, and it is gorgeous. It is a long roof XF. It takes all those beautiful XF proportions that you already like and just makes them that much longer and better. And I was driving at, uh, actually, this is something we can talk about after, but I was at the Amelia Island Concours d'Elegance last oh, weekend. Oh, cool. You fancy, which, huh? Very fancy, but also very accessible, which is something I kind of want to discuss with you because I know we have different opinions about Pebble Beach. <laughs> um, it's uh, it, it was my vehicle for the weekend, so I drove it to and from the show, and I also spent a day driving it from Florida to Georgia and then down the coast again. I got so many reactions to this car, I couldn't believe it. I was at a stoplight, and this group of kids, like in their late, early 20s, pulled up in a, a, a Fiesta, sorry, a Focus ST, <laughs> and they were leaning out the window, giving me the thumbs up and telling me how awesome the car was. And this kept happening to everyone, like everyone who was driving in our group who had a sport break. They would come back to the hotel and be like, these kids just told me I had an amazing car or I was accosted in the parking lot and people told me how cool this car was. And it was it was like if you were over the age of 60, the sport brake didn't register. People would just walk by it. <laughs> but if you were like 30 and under, you went crazy for the car, which is both good and bad for Jaguar because typically you can't afford this car <laughs> if you're under the age of 30. But if you're over the age of 60 and don't want it, that's a little alarming. Um, I drove something very similar. I didn't drive the Sport Brake, but I drove what is described as a Jaguar XF 35T. Um, which we discovered isn't a real car, right, which, Well, what we discovered is that Jaguar has recently changed the nomenclature for their vehicles. And I think the the literature online in terms of what you can find um, on the Jaguar's consumer sites and press sites just hasn't been updated yet. So I can't quite tell you how much this car costs uh, other than the spec sheet that I have of it. And it's well over 80,000 Canadian, which is a lot of money, a but, lot of money. Uh, it is an all wheel drive V six um, supercharged V six model. And it is, it surprised me, man. And I know, you, I mean, I've said this a million times on the podcast, sports sedans and executive sports sedans like this and the five series and the a six and the E class are some of my favorite cars. They just, they're they're loaded with luxury. They make you feel like you're driving something special. And I didn't expect the Jaguar to do it this well. It is it is fun to drive. It has a ton of power. It looks great inside and out. And I, I mean, I have a lot of. I mean, my opinion is that you caught those kids' eyes because Jaguars are attractive looking cars. Um, and even as a, even as a wagon or whatever you want to call it, a sport brake, they're good looking cars, and they get. People's I think the attention. wagon is. E- I think the wagon is even better. I think it is much much better looking than the regular sedan. And rare. Uh, I mean, that's that's what's really cool about that. 
Um, and you're, you know, you're only going to be able to get the XF Sport brake with the 380 horsepower V6, the supercharged V6. It's not being sold in any other model for North America. So it's just going to be S, the the Sport brake S. It has a uh, 332 pound-feet of torque. It's all-wheel drive, standard with an eight-speed automatic. It is very quick. Um, I had no issues breaking this, breaking the laws of the state of Georgia, if I had, you know, wanted to do so. And the other cool thing about the car, it, you know, it, it has a decent amount of extra cargo, not a ton. Mm-hmm. They didn't actually make the vehicle longer, mm. so they they just covered the trunk. But it has a full-length glass roof, and I mean full-length, all the way to the back of the vehicle. It is spectacular looking. I'm sure it weighs a lot. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, the wow factor is definitely there. So I'm my uh, my XF the 35T. At least the specs I can find on it say that it has 340 horsepower. Now you said yours have 380. Is there more? Yeah, because it's the Sport Brake S. So you know, okay, like, gotcha. there's, there's multiple versions of that engine. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. And mine weighs around. Oh man, mine weighs too. It's mine weighs too much, man. Thirty eight hundred and eighty pounds, almost thirty nine hundred pounds. That's a lot for an all wheel drive sedan. Yeah, um, but how much does a Mustang weigh these days? Thirty seven hundred. I don't know that off the top of my head. What is interesting though is um, I think. No, I don't know any of these weights off the top of my head. Now I'm con- now I'm concerned that I've even brought something up. I've opened Pandora's <laughs> box. I can't close. Well, the wagon weighs 4,045 pounds, and I can tell you Whoa. that the the lightest version of the XF, the the diesel uh, sedan, yeah. weighs 3,500. Okay, so that's but a lot of that, yeah. But all wheel drive adds a lot. So yeah. if you if you have the diesel, it's 3,500. But if you add all wheel drive, it's another 230 pounds. So. What's interesting, though, about what you drove, and I mean, I would love to talk about what I drove, but I think you have the, the bigger the bigger story here. How many of these wagons in this class are available? I mean, we, not counting weird cars like the A7 and the CLS and the... Well, there there really aren't a lot of wagons, period, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you have the, the E-Class, which is a wagon, mm-hmm. uh, available as a wagon. And what else? I, I can't, You have the, the, the Sport, uh, not the Sportback, but the, the Buick. What is it called again? Tourex. The Tourex. You have the Tourex. You have the Subaru Outback, which is still pretty much a wagon. So, and if you look at like the vehicles we just named, the, the Subaru Outback is nowhere near the Jaguar in terms no. of market position. No. Um, the Buick isn't really either, and the the E Class. I mean, you can get it. I'm not sure if you can get a regular E Class wagon, but I know you can get the E63, which is a, a bonkers, absolutely crazy version. So there's yeah. such a wide spread of wagons out there. Um, and it's it's just fun that Jaguar is willing to play in this space again. And I have a fun fact for you, Sammy. Did you know that Ian Callum's first project, he, the G- chief of design at Jaguar Land Rover, his first project for Jaguar was the X-Type wagon? <laughs> that's that's interesting. That is interesting. Way back, way back in like mm. what 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. And that that was not a, a vehicle that did well for Jaguar because it was essentially a rebadged Ford Mondeo, and um, most people were able to suss that out fairly quickly. No, no fault of Ian Callum. He was not making those decisions at that time. But I just thought it was interesting that um, you know we've come full circle for him with this this Sportbrake version of the of the XF. Yeah, and I mean this is a really good this. Driving this vehicle, there was a lot of moments, um, not your not your wagon, just driving the sedan, there were a lot of moments where I'm like, this is actually much more emotional and much more interesting than any other um, sports sedan I've, I've driven. Even the 5 Series, which is lighter, I believe, and probably more powerful in some, in some forms, um, lacks a certain, I don't know, emotional appeal that the XF definitely has. It definitely has panache. I, I totally agree with you. And uh, in the interior is very nice as well. That, There's a couple areas yeah. where it kind of lets me down. Switch gear is a little bit plasticky feeling, mm-hmm. but it does have that nice new infotainment system that Jaguar is slowly rolling out across this whole lineup. Jaguar and Land Rover, they really went all in. The one they had before was truly terrible, and that that's no longer the case. The one I had was was funny. We were um, we were driving with the navigation on, and it was scrolling news headlines beside us from CNN. And if you hit the if you hit the screen, it reads you the entire story <laughs> in a British <laughs> the accent. The entire story. The entire story. Like you don't know when it's gonna stop because there'll be pauses and you think it's over, but no, it's just a paragraph break. But uh, that was an interesting feature. Uh, one one way I, to kill kill like a, a silent cabin, right? Just like yeah, oh, or let's... if you're in traffic or something, you know, and you want to hear about a, a hurricane somewhere or something. <laughs> 
but uh, it's it's a nice cabin. It's it's comfortable. There's lots of room in the second row uh, for adults too, which is nice. This is a, I mean, it's 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 a mid-sized car, I guess, but it's really a full-size car. This is a big wagon. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, one of the wagons we forgot, Volvo V90. How did we forget that? Oh, the Volvo V90. No, is the Volvo V90? It goes up against these, or it feels bigger. It, I, it, I understand it, the new S90 has gotten even a longer wheelbase than before, like the 2018 model. I think it definitely goes up against the XF in terms of price okay. and market position. I think the XF obliterates it in terms of driving. <laughs> it's it, it, the, the the Volvo is fine. It yeah. is a comfortable car, but it's not dynamically. It's not a Jaguar. Um, I, I I'll echo all your thoughts. The infotainment system. It took me a moment to get used to it, um, especially things like heated seats. I wish there was just a simple button on the dashboard. Oh I my goodness! So that. I. I'm driving a Velar this week, and we'll talk about it next week in detail, but it is even more complicated to get to the heated seats in the Velar. Um, but I do like the large digital dash. I mean, I feel like I, I rave about digital dashes on every podcast, but I, I really like it, especially because Jaguar does a smart thing and has different themes, different setups for the dash, and uh, I think it's really cool. It's, it's kitschy. It's like uh, and interesting, and that's rare. That's hard to find. Okay, but let's talk about your Amelia Island experience. I mean, I'm a Pebble Beach fan. I love seeing exotics and interesting cars and classics on the on the road. Um, and I like, you know, the, the one-offs, those really strange stories that come with cars that only existed for one, per, for one model, right? And is Amelia Island, does it take that but just distills it into a more mainstream audience or what? I wouldn't call it mainstream audience. What I will say about Amelia Island, it's been referred to as the East Coast Pebble Beach, and I think it's been around for 21 years. Mm-hmm. And what I found was it was much more accessible. Everything happens in one place, which is nice, whereas at Pebble Beach, you have the concourse, you have the quail, you have the, the historic racing. Yeah. It's hard to get around. There's a lot going on. <clears throat> um, and on the on, But speaking to the show itself, I mean, I, I like... The, the historic racing at Monterey. I really enjoy that. I like seeing the cars out in the streets driving around. The show itself at Pebble Beach, I find to be a little bit too highbrow for me. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't want to use the word... It's just... It feels like it's catering to a very specific crowd. Whereas at Amelia, it was more accessible, and they had a wider variety of cars. Specifically, there were far more race cars on the field, and cool. historically significant race cars, too. Emerson Fitter Paul... Emerson Fittipaldi was a honored guest this year at Amelia, and he had a collection. There was a collection of cars that he had driven. He's won the Daytona 500 multiple times. He's a Formula F1, an F1 champion multiple times, and those cars were present and accounted for. And you could go check them out, and that's amazing. But they also had, you know, like you were saying, one-off cars. They had a whole bunch of race specials that had been built. Uh, just for one event, they had a a wagon version of a Ferrari Daytona. It's one of one. They had a, these hunting cars, which were one-off vehicles that were built by people who owned ranches or maharajas in India who wanted to go out and hunt on their land and didn't want to take horses because their land was like 800,000 acres. So, <laughs> I mean, these are just totally unique vehicles you're not going to see anywhere else. And they also had the Steve McQueen Bullet Mustang there. Haggerty had that vehicle there, okay. which is the one that was actually used in the filming of the movie. That was in Detroit uh, as well. It, it, I believe it was, and uh, this is. I actually got to see it drive. They drove it around. They have a. It's kind of cool. They have kind of a, an open concourse area where you can sit and watch the cars go by, and you can hear them, you can smell them, and the announcer tells you why the cars are important or why they're interesting. And it was just really. You just wander everywhere. No one. No one gave me a cross-eyed look the entire day. Um, there were lots of families there, and it just felt like a fun experience. And also, also, there was a Cars and Coffee event going on at the same time across the road. So if you wanted to bring your own cool car and you didn't necessarily think it was suitable for Amelia, but it was still interesting, you could do that. And they had, I don't even know how many hundred cars there to just wander around and see. Cool. Um, so that's those are the cars and the experiences that we had this week. There was one more thing that you wanted to discuss, and that's um, there was a big event that occurred this week with um, at Ford's headquarters where they talked a lot about their future. Um I think they revealed one real car, um, <laughs> but they told us about all these other things that they're going to be bringing up. Yeah, it was kind of like a big a big event where, I don't know, not a lot was really said. Like, it was a lot of stuff that was hinted at. Do you want to you want to kind of go through what Ford talked about and kind of do some hot takes okay. uh, on you... how we feel about it? So, here, yeah, sure, let's do it. So, we've got the biggest story, I think, the biggest, most interesting story is that there's going to be a new GT500, and it's going to come with 700 horsepower. Um, what do you think about that? I like the GT500 a lot. 
I will be in- it'll be interesting to see how it feels with 700 horsepower because right now it's definitely not a drag car. It's not a straight line car. It has 526, I think. Sammy, is that the that the number? Something like that. The but, uh, GT 350, yes. Yeah, the GT 350. So um, it's in a straight line. It gets trounced by a lot of vehicles. Uh, so GT 500 is one of the few cars that's ever really scared me on a racetrack. I got one sideways at about 95 miles an hour one time, completely <laughs> unexpectedly. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it, that, that live axle. I was at Calabogi racetrack. And, um, yeah, that, that, that got my attention real quick. So we'll see how the new platform handles that power. The teaser of that GT 500 also came with a, with a, with a pretty much a suggestion that they're going to make a hybrid Mustang as well. Yeah, they're going to hybridize everything. I, Ford said there's going to be hybrids everywhere. Hybrid F-150, hybrid Mustang, blah, blah, blah. That's going to happen. You think that's going to work? You think that's okay? Look, you know what? I don't have anything against hybrids, but I think the market has spoken. Nobody buys them. Well, maybe if there's only hybrids available, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's what's going to happen with the Ram. The Ram's going to be a mild hybrid, and no one can not buy one else to get that. But, but being a mild hybrid is kind of different. I, I feel like... You know, if I don't think Ford's going to make the Mustang hybrid only. I think they're going to make it an option. And and I think hybrids are like 2% of the industry, 3% of industry sales. It's just such a small number. Um, it, I don't think consumers want this technology yet, even though I, there's a couple of hybrids out there I really like. Yep. So, so uh, I don't know. That, that's how I feel about it. Okay. Let's keep going then. Um, we'll go with a teaser for the 2020 Ford Bronco. Okay, so how long have we been teased with the Bronco? I mean, didn't they? They, sh- didn't they, they told us about it last Detroit Auto Show. And they, they at this event, if I remember correctly from what our friend Chad Kirshner told us, they had a sheet over it and they pulled the sheet off and there was another sheet underneath. That was meant to showcase the silhouette, the lines of this <sighs> of this truck. What kind of David Copperfield stuff is that, man? <laughs> yeah, it's sheet, like coverception. Like uh, just just show us the vehicle. I mean, oh, come on. But based on what we can see, um, it looks. <laughs> It looks like a sheet. It That's what like it a, looks like. It looks like an FJ Cruiser. Don't even lie. It looks like an FJ Cruiser with a really long hood. <laughs> All right. Okay. Fine. Um, sure. I don't know if that's a. I don't, know, I don't know if that really matters though, right? Like we have off-road trucks. We have a Jeep, and we have a Land Cruiser. <laughs> um, what other off-road trucking do you need? I I don't know. Okay. I don't know. We'll Let, find out. Let's dump that one then. They're also going to bring another small crossover, a, a small off-road concept. Oh yes, crossover. what the world needs is another small crossover. But this is going to be um, again focused on off-roading. So I I imagine it's going to be like kind of like a um, a Jeep Renegade or Jeep Compass Trailhawk competitor. Um, it has no name. It has a very it has an artist sketch. That's what we saw, and it has headlights. <laughs> okay. That's good. Headlights, artist sketch, might go off road. I, what, what are we, what are we supposed to do with that kind of information? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know, man. Like apparently they're gonna show it. Um, Look, I, I don't know how well the Renegade is selling. It does do well off road. I think it does. I think that a lot of Renegade sales are related to the fact that Jeep can tap into their heritage, and they made a heritage looking type of vehicle to go with the uh, the, the Renegade. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Ford can capture that lightning in a bottle, so that will be an interesting challenge for them. Okay. How about this lightning in a bottle? Everyone knows ST, those all those really fun ST cars. Now we're going to put the ST, we're going to have an ST Explorer. What do you think of that? Uh, didn't we already have an Explorer Sport version? Yeah, that was really cool. I actually really liked the, so, the Explorer so Sport. So this is more of the same, right? Yep. Uh, all right. Something like 400 horsepower <laughs> and 400 pound-feet of torque, and it's going to be stiffer and louder um, because that's what you wanted in an Explorer, right? Of course. Definitely. Okay. And finally, we have uh, everyone's favorite lux- American luxury brand, Lincoln, is going to replace the MKT, which you forgot existed, with something called an Aviator. Okay. So the Aviator is not a new name for Lincoln. There was a an Explorer-based Aviator way back in the mid-2000s, right? Yep. And this is going to be bigger. Um, I believe this is going to be based on the next generation uh, Explorer. So it's so uh, probably in, in between now and then the Explorer has gotten a lot bigger because the MKT was a full size. Um, the MKT stands out in my mind as being an unusual example of Lincoln taking the Ford Flex program platform, sorry, and then making it smaller inside <laughs> and then putting it on sale. I really like the super Ford Flex. Weird. The Ford Flex is also really good. I love the Flex. The Flex is great, but the MKT was no Flex. What's interesting here, though, is that they've gotten rid of now their nameplates. The MKX is now the Nautilus. The MKS is now the Continental. We only have 
what names do we have left? What are the I don't I, I don't know MKC for the good for them one. though because because Alphabet Soup doesn't sell cars. Yeah, these are good. Would you think an Aviator, Navigator, Continental, Nautilus? That's a good sounding lineup, no? I guess Even so. If I mean, not Nautilus good cars. Nautilus makes me think of Jules Verne. So okay, um, and I think that's all of the important news as well as a um, a something they call a Copilot 360. Um, which is a suite of technology that sounds like it's going to be self-driving technology, but it's not. That Wow, that sounds like it's totally not confusing for owners or buyers. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. It is. Um, it has blind spot monitoring, lane keeping assistance, uh, automatic emergency braking, and a rear view camera. Okay, so it's kind of like <laughs> it's just, what we already have. Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> the same stuff. But it's going to be standard. What, what? I think it's going to be all standard. One thing that's cool that they did say, and I'm not going to be snarky or, or dismissive of this, is they're going to be adding Waze to the Sync 3 platform. You like Waze. So, I like Waze. I think it works really well. I know that in the past um, – so Chrysler had look, looked at doing – I spoke to the interior designer, as I mentioned, for the RAM, and they had mentioned, well, we wanted to add Waze too. But when lawyers get involved, uh, Waze was doing this thing where they were letting you report uh, checkpoints for drunk driving. Oh, Okay. And and FCA was like, we can't be a part of that. Like we can't <laughs> we can't help drunk drivers get home. Uh, we can not in that way. You know, like they need to call a taxi. Yeah. So that's why you didn't see Waze in the next generation version of UConnect. So I don't know if Ford is going to be offering a limited version of Waze. It will be really interesting to see what that looks like. That is interesting. Um, but that's that's all we. That's I mean, it was a very. It sounded like it was going to be bigger. It was called Ford Uncovered, I believe, the name of this whole event. And they showed us another truck that was covered. It's literally still covered. These, <laughs> the, we're in the doldrums right now. We're in the hype hype zone between Geneva and New York, and it's Which the last is, auto show of the year. Both events take place in the same month. How can it be a doldrum? Look, <laughs> Sammy, if you're not being constantly fed automotive adrenaline... <laughs> It's usually they're actually a month apart, and this isn't the case. <laughs> but Ben is right. In two weeks, the New York Auto Show, um, and that's that's pretty exciting. But we have one more week before that. And uh, Ben, you said you're driving a new Range Rover Velar. The Range Rover Velar. That, that is indeed what I'm driving. One and of my we will talk about that. We will talk about that next week. And I also want to talk about the 2019 Kia Sorento, which has been refreshed. And I had a chance to drive that in Colorado last week. Very good. And I can share more details about that Jeep Compass that I drove uh, last week. And I also have a very fun luxury crossover that's coming up next week. So, Ben, if we're listening, if, if we're talking to somebody who's a first time listener, what should we tell them about our podcast? Well, uh, we should tell them that you should check out older episodes at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Everything is there, and we're also on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and we'll soon be on Spotify, I believe. So we are expanding our podcasting tendrils wherever they will have us. And uh, Sammy, on social media, is there a way for people to get a hold of us if they have questions or comments? Yeah, I love getting questions on social media. You can find me at Sammy underscore ha. That's S-A-M-I. I'm worried that some people might not. Um, know how to spell my first name, so it's at S A M I underscore. It is the simplest, like the simplest spelling of it. Yes, and they can get in touch with Ben because Ben loves Amelia Island, and if you like Amelia Island too, you can talk to him about that. He's at Hunting Benjamin, um, and that's just how you think it is. And what we're also on our Facebook page, Unnamed Automotive Podcast on Facebook. We usually post links and sometimes photos of our various vehicles that we're driving. If you go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, though, each of our episodes, we have links to the reviews that we've written for our various clients. Um, I say clients. Sammy says employers. Sammy Sammy writes for autoguide.com, and you can often find his reviews linked on our Unnamed Automotive Podcast. I also write for Autoguide as well as New York Daily News, Auto123, and Auto Trader, and you can find links to reviews there for both Canadian and American markets. Yeah, that's awesome. But thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.